0: Hey guys. Oh my goodness. This week's episode is with a doula, Rachel Campbell, who became a doula after giving birth because she had an awesome and amazing doula. And her birth stories are super cool. And there's this thing that happened after she gave birth in the postpartum period that I had never, ever heard of before, never seen. I mean, there's so much. So in this episode, trigger warning, one of her deliveries was a very safe, but forceps delivery. So if forceps are triggering for you, then skip this episode. But I've never as a doula, like witnessed a forcep delivery. And so it was really kind of cool to hear her story and achieving a vaginal birth with forceps. And then this like crazy wild postpartum thing that required so much advocacy So you must listen to this episode to learn about how to advocate for yourself before you leave the hospital, okay? Are you on your pins and needles and toes and fingers and ready? I'm so excited. Okay, here's Rachel. Let's get to it. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know, do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions Pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's gonna happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan? I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm gonna teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, wash that anxiety away, because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy, and you are ready to crush that birth. Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on this sweltering day in Charlotte. (laughs) So sweltering.
0: You guys, Rachel is another doula, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So basically that means we compete against each other for clients. Like, ha, ha ha. It really just means that we are in community in Charlotte and it is hot, hot, hot. We are recording this in the middle of June, and it's spring technically. Like it hasn't even moved over to summer yet. This is ridiculous. But I mean, it is really hot. And so let's start right there up front. I have been wanting to share with the audience how to keep hydrated in the summer months. When were you, were you pregnant over summers?
1: Yeah. My first was doing uh, the end of July and my second was October. So twice. Twice. Okay.
0: So Max, no, he was like the perfect pregnancy. You get pregnant in July. By the time you feel it, it's fall. Everything's perfect. And then they're born in the spring. Jagger August 21st, my whole that like the third trimester in the summer was miserable. And this is what's been going on in my text messages, Rachel. I don't know what's going on in yours, but mine are like, Hey, Heidi, I'm cramping. I just feel weird like all day. And I'm like, Dehydrated, dehydrated. <laughs> I tried it, yeah, I tried
1: it. I, I had a client this week, and they were like, "Should we go for a walk?" And I was like, "No,
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> unless,
1: unless you're going inside somewhere. Don't you dare go outside right now.
0: Right, five a.m. or like nine p.m. Those are the only appropriate times to go for a walk in the south in the summer when you're pregnant."
1: <laughs> I just so. went with my daughter. I just, when I was overdue, I just did over, you know, overdue, whatever that means, past my due date that I had been assigned. I just did laps around the South Park Mall. Like just Perfect. Laps.
0: <laughs> yeah. An air conditioned cold mall. I would still even bring like a fan with me to the mall, I think, because yeah. I would still be too hot. Um, so let's talk to the audience about staying hydrated in summertime, like in the, or just in your pregnancy in general, but especially in the summertime, my recommendation is always a minimum of a hundred ounces of water and fluids plus electrolytes. And I love LMNT. They are so expensive y'all and they have so much sodium. So like, please don't take this recommendation if you have hypertension or anything like that. Um, what, do you, you, what do you use, Rachel, like for your clients or for yourself?
1: I love liquid IV, um, which was just on mega sale at Costco for like weeks, which was awesome. Um, and, but it is really high in sugar. So if you're gestational diabetes or anything like that, you're not going to want that one. Um, but I love recommending red, red raspberry, leaf tea, like everyone else does, but I love to do it iced, um, that's, Ooh, that's what I personally idea. did. Cause it just keeps you sipping it all day long. So I would like make like a huge batch of it the night before with a bunch of honey in it and then just, and lemon, and then just drink it all day long. Like, okay. kind of diluted, but
0: yeah. Oh my gosh, my favorite. And it's, you know, we're recording in the South. You're right. Like, everybody loves their tea. Mm-hmm. Maybe like just a drop of honey, you know, just a little bit. You know, someone introduced me to a product this week, too, called Mio. And, um, oh, yeah.
1: I have a Mio in my doula bag.
0: Do you really? Okay. So I yeah, got, I have
1: sh- a caffeinated Mio in my doula bag.
0: Okay. This one's not caffeinated and it's strawberry watermelon. And it's like really good. I mean, I feel like I'm drinking a cocktail, but I'm just drinking water. And from what I understand, it's sugar free. Supposedly. Supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. All right. So that's our little doula chat on how to stay hydrated this summer. Like, please, y'all, get in a pool, drink all of the things that hydrate you. If I don't care if you're five, one and you weigh a hundred pounds, still drink a hundred ounces of water per day. Just get in the habit yeah. of it,
1: you know. He uh, should be clear or almost clear, and if it's not, you're not hydrated. Anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, Rachel, we're going to talk about your two birth stories today, but yeah, yeah. you're kind of like a new friend to me. So, how? Why are you a doula? <laughs> how did you become a doula?
1: Well, I've always been obsessed with birth. Like, I was that weirdo kid watching like a birth story on TLC whenever I was like homesick or had a snow day or something. And then when I had my first birth, um, almost four years ago now, we had a great experience with our doula. Um, and my husband was like, that's the job you should have. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it is like, it was just like, oh, this is the job that I was meant to have. Did you have a job and, before that? Yeah. So I, my background is in um, journalism actually. Um, but I was in nonprofit marketing and communications, um, prior to having my kids. And then I, I started staying home full-time with my daughter after my husband took his leave. like we did back to back maternity leaves or parental leaves, Um, so then we decided I would stay full-time with my daughter because my husband travels and works crazy hours. Um, so I was still doing some marketing communications on the side. And then, um, when COVID hit that work, it sort of dried up. Um, and then I was pregnant with my second and, but after my first birth, it was like, Oh, I really should do this. Like, this is the thing I should do. And then I was like, well, I'm going to have another baby. Let's get through that. And then I was like, okay, well, once the baby's born, I'll do it. Okay, once he's you know sleeping through the night, I'll do it. Okay, once he's weaned, I'll do it. And then um, a friend who is a, a really awesome postpartum doula in town was like, uh, "This organization is having an in-person training in Charlotte next week." And my husband was like, "That's it. You're out of excuses. You're done. You you know you're out of excuses." So I did it, and um, I suffer a lot from like imposter syndrome. Like I don't believe I should have you know the jobs or the recognitions or whatever that I have, um, except when I walk into a birth space.
0: Good for you.
1: When I did my first one, I was like, I 100% belong here. This is where I'm supposed to be.
0: I feel like that would not be imposter syndrome then. That would just be like your soul leading you and guiding you to like where you're supposed to be, you know? Oh my gosh, that's goosebumpy. What was the organization that you trained through? I'm trained with tappa. Kappa, C yeah. A P P A, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so many people that listen to this podcast are doulas or aspiring doulas or pregnant on birthing persons, but they're always writing in, like, how do I become a doula? So, you guys, how do I do it? Yeah. So, I went through DONA and Rachel went through Kappa. There's lots of different organizations. So, that's a great way to start if you're interested in being a doula, it's just like researching the different organizations and see who's doing, I do recommend in person training. Like,
1: yeah, I agree,
0: you know, get your vaccine or not, whatever your thing is, but like put your mask on, probably go to an in-person training, whatever. go do it and become a doula. So now you have these two, you're practicing as a doula, like tell, tell me what's your most memorable experience so far.
1: I had a stop and drop as like my second, I think official client. So stop and drop would be for those not in this business, the ones that walk into the hospital and the baby basically falls out of them because they're so far along. Mm-hmm. And that was one where I was like, I feel like I should give these people their feedback. Like I did nothing. Like she literally, it was like 6 30. She was like, I'm having con- or it was like six o'clock. I think I just had a contraction. Six thirty, we're leaving for the hospital. They rolled up at seven as they're pulling in. She's texting me. My water just exploded. Um, and the baby was out by seven 30. Like we were in triage and the nurses are like doing their thing. And I like, I looked, uh, you know, down below at her and I was like, we need to go now. Like th- there was no mistaking that she was having yes. a baby immediately. So wow. that was pretty memorable just because it was like. It was just the the power that she brought to that situation. The fact that it was so fast, it was her second. And her first was only seven or eight hours. So we expected this to be fast, but not, you know, 90 minutes fast. fast. I mean, the the doctor, and it was fun because the doctor, like nobody from her practice, she's with, with one of our, our favorite practices in town. And uh, none of them were available because they were all doing deliveries. And so just like the random hospitalist was standing there and he had no idea what to do with a woman who was like, birthing naturally on all fours. And he just sort of <laughs> stood there and the nurses handled it all. And we later found out it was that nurse's very first shift, like ever, like oh as a real nurse. Gosh. And so the other ones were like letting her do it to like, so anyway. I no,
0: love it. Well, that was probably really, really memorable for both of you guys, yeah, you know? it was exciting. Oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, sometimes it takes a long time to get a stop and drop. I only, I think, had one like that delivered at home on accident. You know, I've had uh-huh. a, I've had a couple where let's say we intentionally <laughs> didn't show up until like, you know, the very end. Like 12 minutes is the, the you know, maybe five. I know this other one f- was five and one was 12 and one was 18. So I've got a five minute, 12 minute and 18 after walking in the front door. But those were kind of planned just to be honest. But yeah. I have this one story and it's in the book actually, where it was, uh, I was headed to her house and the husband called and was like, baby's here. Just go ahead and meet us at the hospital. And I was like, "Woo, okay. It happens. That was my husband's
1: worst nightmare. It was like an accidental home birth or an accidental car birth. <laughs> like it was his worst. It was like his biggest fear. Which
0: oh my funny. gosh. And I think it's like, I didn't like, get anywhere
1: close to that. It would have been my
0: dream come true. For those that listen to the podcast and have listened to Max and Jagger's birth stories, I mean, dream come true. If I could have just popped one out on the side of the road, I mean, yeah, what an amazing dream. Um, so, Rachel, let's get into your birth stories. So, you've got um, how old are they now?
1: My oldest will be almost, is almost four before mm-hmm. the end of July, and my youngest is twenty months.
0: Okay, and boy or girl?
1: I've got my oldest is a girl and my youngest is a boy. So okay. I've got a daughter and a son. I've got one of each right now.
0: Yeah. So older girl, younger boy. Okay. So when you got pregnant with your daughter, how mm-hmm. old were you?
1: 26.
0: 26. Yeah. Okay. 26. Was it planned?
1: It was planned. Yes. My husband and I took a big old trip around the world um, in the summer of 2017. And we started trying on that trip. We found out we were pregnant like two days after we got back. It was really awesome and exciting. Um, Fortunately, that pregnancy didn't last. Uh, I got to like seven weeks um, and then miscarried there. Um, We were told to wait a while before trying again because on like the ultrasounds, they thought there might be something funny with the shape of my uterus, like, um, uh, you know, not a full bicornate like shape or anything like that, but just maybe like a little septate, like a little extra piece of tissue. So they were like, you know, don't get pregnant. Let's let's wait it out and we'll do some tests but we got drunk at a wedding and 2 weeks later i was like i feel pregnant again and i was and that's my daughter
0: <laughs> after you had a did you have a natural miscarriage or a dnc
1: yeah. or a D&E? it was natural a my, natural my body did all the work yep i okay. didn't i didn't have to everything passed as it should
0: it's so crazy and so i don't want to like gloss over that because it's super mm-hmm. tragic and loss is just very heavy and we are very fertile right after loss. Like, I have so many stories on this podcast where at people were pregnant two weeks later, three weeks later, four weeks later. I mean, it's just, to me, the word magical kind of comes to mind. I don't know how you would describe it.
1: It was just very, like, surreal, um, and it so it, it sort of made it all feel like one big experience. Like it was like, I had been pregnant since August, you know, for almost a year. Um, because, you know, like my last period had started in August and I delivered in July, but there, there was a miscarriage in there, but so it yeah. all, all sort of just felt like one big thing. It also just opened my eyes to, um, my mom had had a similar experience before she had me and that mm-hmm. she, you know, I called her and told her what was going on. I hadn't told her I was pregnant yet, but I told her what was happening and she was like, Rachel, everybody's going to tell you that this happens for a reason and everybody's going to tell you it's meant to be and all of that is complete bullshit and all of that is exactly true. Um, at the same time, she was like, if it hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have you because I was, you know, the pregnancy after her her loss and it's true yeah. if that hadn't happened. The baby that I have wouldn't be my my Lily, like my little, you know, bestie. So. Yeah.
0: My, I'm going to go out in like la-la land. I may have told this story on the podcast before, but I can't remember. My, there are f- Five children, four of them are my mom's. One of them's from my dad, but there are four of us. But there were eight other pregnancies that my mom had. Lots of loss, lots of loss. And the way she will describe it is she will say, Heidi, everything about you is because you were trying so hard to get here. That's what she says. So she believes it was me all along. Like that's the narrative That helps her. And like, that kind of helps me too. You know, she was like, your little soul was just like fighting for that right body and that right Mm -hmm. time to like get here over and over again. So I know everyone has lots of different beliefs, but I like to believe with my mom that like my fiery little personality is because... You know, I was working really hard to make it to this earth, you know?
1: It's like that movie Soul. You were like that little, like everything's like little dots. You were that one that just kept jumping, trying yep. to get kept into jumping.
0: Right yep, exactly. <laughs> kept jumping. I really do love that movie too. My so do My kit. So planned pregnancy. Yeah. And then uh yeah.
1: and then a he gift I, uh, pregnancy. And then a gift, and then and a gift. gift. Um, my husband is my high school sweetheart, so we've been together since we were seventeen years old. Um, oh, so wow. we're we actually it'll be fifteen years next year since we got together.
0: Oh my god! So that we had, deserves a I, round of applause.
1: I know it's crazy. Um, so we we really had sort of re- planned for this and sort of knew our timeline for like wanting to start a family, and we really felt ready and excited for it.
0: So. Yeah. So how did you know that you were in labor?
1: Oh, um, I was. Four days past my due date, I had been three centimeters dilated, 80% of face for Ooh, like three weeks. That's good. That's I know. Like- I was really excited. And um, I was just growing increasingly. I'd had prodromal labor a couple of times throughout the week. So I was sort of aware of what a contraction kind of might feel like. Um, but I was folding laundry like late in the evening on a Saturday. And I just kept getting more and more uncomfortable. Not like start and stop pain, but I would like, all of a sudden I realized like I couldn't focus on folding a shirt. Um, so I started trying to pay attention to what was going on. And I realized like, oh, wait, these are contractions. This mm-hmm. is happening. So I told my husband, my mom and my husband were there. I was like, I'm going to go to bed. And my was like, you're going to do what? I was like, I'm going to go to bed. That's what you're supposed to do. So I, you know, brush my teeth, I put my, my pajamas and I lay down and I immediately jumped right back up because there was no way I could lay down through these contractions. So we started timing them and, you know they say like the 511 rule or whatever and we got to 511 extremely quickly and my, the the labor was it was really intense and so because i had been you know 3 centimeters 80% of face or whatever i was like oh things must be really happening quickly and i was very wrong about that as so many people are um so we first labors hospital. first labors
0: rarely even if you're four centimeters dilated, they rarely go fast. I'm like, just put 24 hours in your brain, everybody.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's, we ended it, I think about 22 hours total. So, but around midnight, we went to the hospital and we had been talking with our doula. And so we went to the hospital. This is like a few hours after things had started. Did she just meet you there? She just met us there. Yeah. She met us there. Um, Um, I don't like feeling like a watched pot and I love my mom to death, but I didn't want my mom with me in labor. So I didn't quite feel cool staying at home. And also, I really thought things must be happening quickly because the pain was so bad so quickly. So we deliver. So we went to the hospital. They checked us into at triage. We were the only people there that night. No one was in labor. We were by ourselves. So like small
0: regional hospital.
1: Yeah. So regional hospital, that's quite quiet. Um, And they were like, you're still 30 centimeters dilated, but you are contracting. And I was like, you know, no shit. Sherlock." Um, So they were like, walk around, come back every half hour and we'll keep talking. And so the hospital is really great for walking laps. It's like a circular hallway. So it's just really, it was, again, it was calm. It was quiet. I felt really good about being there. And after a couple of hours, I progressed a little. And again, things were like, two or three minutes apart at this point. Um, And so they were like, okay, you know, you made it to four centimeters, you can stay or you can go home. And I was like, there's no universe in which I am going home right now. I'm not getting back in this
0: car. Did you want to have an unmedicated birth or a medicated birth or wait and see?
1: I wanted to avoid a C-section. Okay. So for me, I was trying to check every box I could to reduce my risk of C-section. So mm-hmm. that meant unmedicated if I could, mm-hmm. but we did the, the code word system. So I had a secret word that I would say when I was not kidding anymore. And I wanted it. dang epidural. That means listen, people listen. That means, yeah. Do not remind me of my preferences. Do not, it's like, it's your safe word. Yeah. Um, so they checked us into a room. Oh, and I mean, the staff was amazing and um I mean, nobody walked in the room without my birth, like preference sheet getting shoved in their faces. Like they were just, they were great about listening to me and, you know, informed consent. And I know that's not everybody's experience, but it really was mine. My uh, husband and doula are awesome. And around 6am, they checked me again and I got into six centimeters and I don't really remember a lot between. When I officially got admitted around like 3 or 4 a.m. and 6 a.m., the 6 a.m. check, I was just in total labor la-la land.
0: Your doula and your husband probably don't remember either because it was pulling an all-nighter.
1: Exactly. I mean, it was just um, contractions were every like two minutes, a lot of double peaking and everything was in my back. So knowing everything I know now, I like know exactly what was going on. I was going to say
0: double peaking, y'all, weird contraction patterns equal position of the baby. And progressing slowly, position of the baby. So you are 12 hours into your labor at this point, early in the
1: morning, and
0: you're six Mm -hmm. centimeters dilated. That's amazing for a first time Mm birthing person.
1: Fantastic. But I said, peanut butter, peanut butter, motherfucking peanut butter. Is that your code word? Um, that was my code word. <laughs> so <laughs> the nurse looked at me like I was bonkers. And my doula was like, that means she would like an epidural and she would like it right now. Yeah. So, um, but you know, they did all the things they have to do to get you ready for an epidural and they ran the line or they, I had a hep lock, So they, you know, they ran the, the bag and everything. And then the world's meanest anesthesiologist came in. He was just had the absolute worst bedside manner. Um, It's probably the end of his shift. And he was just a horrible person to this day. But did he give a good epidural? At the time it felt like a good epidural. Okay. Um, So, and I immediately passed out, right? That's what you should do when you get an epidural. You should go to sleep. I went to sleep. They kept coming and turning me like a rotisserie chicken because the baby, I have really low blood pressure. Just as a person. So an epidural made my blood pressure extra low. Okay. So my baby was not a fan uh totally of the epidurals unless they flip me around okay. every like 20 minutes or something. Were so. they giving you epi? I don't remember. Um, I don't think so. I think at one point it was offered, but they said we don't have to, and I declined it.
0: Not epi. Um, why did I just say epi?
1: I don't I'm not sure, but I think I knew what you meant. <laughs> I, I knew what you meant. So I just went
0: with it. <laughs> I'm like, no, they're not pulling out their epi No, the, and and the and, and multiple
1: points um postpartum. Also with my my second birth, I was offered stuff to boost my blood pressure because they were like, you must be passing out. I was like, no, literally, this is just my blood pressure. Like I promise. I'm yeah. Fine. So you know, you can always decline a medication. And I did. Good for you. So anyway, lesson number yeah.
0: one. You can say no to anything. Can say no. No one can um, do anything to your body without your damn permission, people. Permission, totally.
1: <laughs> so, but in between, I slept on and off. Um, around noon. Uh, oh, and once the epidural was working, they broke my water. Um, okay. Around noon, they checked me again, and I was almost complete. Um, so I was like, or around ten, not noon, around ten a.m. I was almost complete. Um, so we were like thinking about what we were going to order for lunch after the baby was born. We were like, this is perfect. We're almost there. Here we go. Is your
0: doula still Um, with you or did she go take a nap?
1: She was with us. She took a nap, but in the room, both okay. she and my husband, just like conked out on the okay. furniture. Okay. Um, I was like, nobody needs to go. No, like, nobody needs to pay attention to me. Please just go to sleep. And the nurses, I was really lucky. I had both an amazing, amazing, amazing labor and delivery nurse. And also she was training someone. So I had two. And because she was in training, they basically just like left her to babysit me the whole time. So I had these two fantastic people with me from, from like six to six, like their entire shift because awesome. my daughter was born at. 6.30, and they actually stayed through her delivery, even though it was Wow.
0: It was so you in. were like almost complete, which means probably nine in the lip of your cervix, exactly. right? Like yep. anterior, posterior, mid, do you know where it was?
1: It was anterior. Anterior. Um, and baby was still at minus two. So baby was still really high.
0: Really high. So
1: I was advised to labor down, as they say, um, and try and get baby's head to descend. Um, define that for
0: everyone listening, labor down.
1: So labor down means you got to get that baby to drop that head further into the pelvis. So, um, your baby's station is defined by where they are in relation to your ischial spines, which are these little pointy things you can't get to exterior, but you can feel them on, on the inside. Um, so negative zero is like in line with ischial spines. Anything positive means your baby is coming down and coming out. You know, if you hit plus five, plus six, they're, they're out. Um, and anything above that is they're still floating up there pretty high in your pelvis. I
0: don't know if I'd say negative tooth floating, but floating, not, floating. Yeah, not they super were just, engaged. Yeah. yeah, not super not engaged. In, not and super your engaged. water was ruptured. So that's surprising. Yeah, yeah.
1: my, um, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> we okay. were like, what's going on here? So around noon, um, my epidural started not wearing off is the wrong thing, I guess, but whatever, that's the easiest way to say it wearing off. And I started to get a lot of sensation back and it was intense sensation. So a new anesthesiologist um, came in and gave me a bolus. Um, and I went back to sleep and, um, we had the peanut ball and all these, you know, funny positions, um, the peanut balls, like a a yoga ball that you stretched out to look like a peanut. Um, It's really helpful uh, for getting your legs and stuff in different positions to try and keep your pelvis, you know, asymmetrical and help baby descend. So around two o'clock I woke up and I always, I I like to sometimes share this part of the story, but I will share it. Um, There's a button uh, if you have an epidural and the button gives you an extra dose of medicine. Sometimes, sometimes depending on the anesthesiologist and the way they do it. And it's on a timer, so you can't push the button too much because obviously you'd give yourself too much medication, and that's not good. But my husband was so concerned that I was going to wake up in pain that he kept pushing the button for me, even though I was asleep. <laughs> um, so I woke up and I was like, "I'm going to be sick," and he was like, "Why?" And it was because he'd been pushing the dang button for hours. <laughs> um, so I woke oh, up and started. And you were probably up. so numb. Uh, yeah, I was so numb. Um, And I just started throwing up like nobody's business, Um, which had been one of my, also one of my fears of getting epidural or just having any sort of anesthesia in general, because I grow up under anesthesia. That was another contributing fear for a C-section.
0: I understand what your husband did because we often don't want to disturb the birthing person while they're sleeping. But as a general rule, we shouldn't give people medication without their consent.
1: (laughs) So. he thought he was doing something really heroic. And to this day, it's literally like he gives people two pieces of advice when they're having a baby. One is get a doula and the other is don't push the button. So don't push the button. Oh, so,
0: but, it, but it's like yeah. the tenderness of the effort to try to protect you. I mean, it is very yeah. sweet, but yeah,
1: um, well, good intentions. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you're vomiting shortest-
0: everywhere though. I'm
1: vomiting and- profusely. Um, bless my doula and her little disposable toothbrushes mm-hmm. that she had in her bags so that I could just keep <laughs> scrubbing Brushing my mouth tea. out. And it was orange jello, it was just orange jello everywhere. Uh. Um, to this day, I have trouble eating orange jello. So, uh, around 2 p.m., baby was still high, still like negative one, negative two, but I was full, I was complete. Um, so they were like, let's start pushing and see if we can help baby move down. So we pushed in all the, oh, and this is a, just a random OB I'd never met before. They were from the practice, but I'd never, never met them before. Um, so started pushing, pushed for about two hours and around the end of the second hour, I started to get the sensation back started not, you know, to be able to feel all the contractions again and everything's across my back and just really hard. So the just came back in, gave me another, another bolus and it didn't take, it didn't matter. Nothing he did, no amount that he pumped into that thing was touching it. Was it out? Um, had it come out? I think it had come out. Yes. That's the, the general consensus that had happened. Cause I kept saying that there was water running down my back.
0: Oh no. Like, that's called fentanyl, about? a fentanyl yeah. shower.
1: Exactly. So, um, and they kept looking and they're like, there's no water. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think it was, you know, fentanyl was still going into my body. It was just no longer going into the epidural space. Yeah. Um, The next two hours I started pushing around two. that all happened around four from about four to six. It was just alternating of like screaming, crying, throwing up. Um, And I had basically full sensation back um, I could start to feel my legs again. So they were letting me change positions a lot and do all kinds of, you know, great hands and knees, whatever. I swear every nurse on the floor came in at some point to try and help because they were all working so hard to preserve this vaginal birth that I so desperately thought I needed. So a little after six, a uh, doctor came back in and was like, you know, we've got baby to zero. Um, but
0: that's still and Baby high. was tolerating
1: still high. Baby was tolerating this all super, super well but they, she was like, I can tell you're out of juice. And she was hundred percent correct. I was out. I was out of juice. Um, and so she was like, we have you know, two options at this point. We can go for a C-section. It was the first time anyone had said the word C-section out loud. She was like, or my colleague is going to be here. in in a couple minutes, he's coming on call and he is a genius with forceps and you'll have to push five more times and we'll get this baby out of you. And so I had not thought about the idea of an assisted delivery at all. I, I truly, I truly hadn't. Um, it had not been part of my like universe. I like just didn't even think that that was something that could possibly happen to me. I don't know why it's a perfectly legitimate possibility that could happen to anyone. Yeah. So, uh, my husband was, uh, well, I asked, uh, but I can feel everything right now. And she was like, yeah, we have to place the epidural again. And th- the placing of the epidural had been such an upsetting experience for me. Cause this guy was so mean. I was like, I can't do that again. And I was sitting like bolt upright at this point. And my husband, and I, and I was just silent. Like I refused to talk or acknowledge anybody for a few minutes. And my husband was like, honey, either way you have to lie down. So we might as well try the forceps, right? And I said, okay. And it was like a pistol had gone off and suddenly the room was just like full of people. Um, And the bed's getting broken down and the teams are there and there had been meconium when they broke my water. So the NICU team was there. It was like a whole circus, which is just hilarious. Cause on my thing, I was like, I want as few people as possible and blah, blah, blah.
0: It's always going to be 15 people at your delivery. Yeah. No matter what you put on your birth plan. <laughs>
1: exactly. So, but I was, because it was the doc that had been with me all day, the two nurses that had been with me, but were staying because it was past their shift. The new doctor was coming in and the new nurse was coming in. Like,
0: Was your duel was like just, still going strong?
1: She was still going strong. Oh
0: man, I would have been. was a
1: superhero. Uh,
0: and this is why superhero. Colin and I switch shifts day yeah. and night. Because I would have been, I would have just been like dead on the couch, yeah. you know, like a yeah. fish. Bye. That wash yeah, that's up what under one the water. client that gets
1: an epidural, I go home. And yeah. Like call me back in a couple hours, like, get a nap. I'm you get, a, get nap, a nap, I'll get a nap, we'll come
0: back, exactly. we'll meet back together for the grand finale. Exactly. Oh, man, what um, a trooper. Do I know who she
1: is? Abby Corbett.
0: Oh, my God, I love Abby. Yeah, yeah.
1: So was was she or like doula like...
0: for both your babies?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, my we, god. We, we're
1: each other's primary backups now, which is really
0: fun. Oh, you guys... Abby is phenom. Okay. So this makes sense. Of course, Abby would hang in that whole would like a champ. She just did
1: like over 24 hours the other day and we we were talking the whole time and I'm like, if you ever, if you're right, you know, if you want, I can come, you know, give you a couple hours, but yeah, she's amazing.
0: Number one question to ask when you're interviewing a doula, what's their stamina?
1: What's your stamina? What's your time limit? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. What do you do when you can no longer stand upright? Right. Exactly. Um, how do you sleep on hospital furniture? (laughs) So you're about
0: to venture into this world, and I'll be honest, you said forceps, and I had a I I had a physical reaction to the word. Yeah. I have been a doula for 18 years, Rachel. I've never witnessed a forcep delivery. Can you believe there are
1: an incredibly few number of physicians that are trained on it? Um, but there are like two, I think, in Charlotte that are kind of quote unquote, known for it. I've like, I don't even know
0: what forceps look like. I mean, I've
1: never seen them. Giant barbecue tongs.
0: Okay. So now as a doula,
1: did Mm -hmm. you know what forceps looked like? I mean, we talked about it like in training. Is that what you mean? But you hadn't
0: seen a forcep
1: (laughs) delivery. No, no, no. So you're
0: in brand new unchartered territory for you as Mm -hmm. a birthing person and as a doula. I'm assuming Abby Corbett uh, was there. Yeah, in. Abby had not
1: seen a force a of worth either. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm so excited to hear how this ends. So your previous OB was like five pushes and this is gonna she was be like, done. Yeah.
1: yeah. So um, he she she was like, let's keep pushing while we wait for him. So I like did a couple more pushes and then he came in and he tried to introduce himself. And I, I don't remember this, but I apparently said, I don't care who you are. Just do it, do it now. Um, Like the classy lady I am. And truly, I think it was like three, four pushes. And all of a sudden there was a baby on my chest, like just like, and I, um, I mean, I've, I think my body has blocked a lot of that memory out because my epidural was like basically non-functional at this point. So I felt every inch of that four of those four steps and they're, they're big. So my daughter was asynclitic. Um, so her head was descending at an angle, um, and she had a decently large head too. Okay. Um, And there was just a baby on my chest all of a sudden. And I had completely forgotten that I was having a baby. I just thought I was like dying. Like there was no part of me that was like, you know, if you had been like, you're about to meet your baby, I would have been like, what baby? Um, That's, you know, that, that wasn't a fact that was resonating with me anymore.
0: When you are super tired and exhausted, when your epidural is not working and yet you're somehow drugged at the same time. There are often times where we will see birthing persons kind of travel to this dark place of like, you, it's not that you don't care about the baby, it's that you're so concerned with your own survival. Cause we're mammals that I think it's very normal, Rachel, to forget about the baby. And for the last 18 years of being a doula, I see over and over and over again. The birthing persons rarely ask how their baby is doing when they're in labor. It's like this innate trust that like the baby is okay and I just have to keep focusing on what I'm doing, which is one contraction after the other and just getting through it and or surviving it, you know? And so like, thank you for sharing that emotion because this podcast, we highlight all of the stories even the ones that are really hard, even when you have a doula and a great husband and a perfect birth team, it can still be a little
1: traumatic. Completely. So, so, um, a lot of times with a forceps delivery, babies can get injuries to their head, um, or things can be kind of misshapen or there can be bruising or even like cuts and stuff. That was not my, the case. Fortunately, nobody believed she was a forceps delivery because she didn't have, she had like one teeny abrasion um under her one of her eyes, but it it didn't, it healed like very, very quickly. Okay. And she was perfect and she was great. And um, like she was perfectly healthy, seven fifteen, seven pounds fifteen ounces, like very, you know, and normal. Anywhere else you were a C-section. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they let me push for four plus hours, like I was at pushing for four plus hours. And until hour four, then anyone even said the word C-section and they didn't even say, let's go for a C-section. They asked if I wanted one, like, you know, because your baby was doing great. Yeah. My baby was fine. It was just me. Um, I say just me. That's really not something I would ever want one of my clients to say about themselves. Uh, That was not, that was not kind way to, to speak about myself right there, but it was me. Um, that was not doing awesome.
0: That's okay. You can take um, off your dual hat sometimes and you can just be a person.
1: <laughs> just be a person. Yeah. That's that's a, that's a mom hat thing too, right? Mm-hmm. But everybody, we prioritize everyone else except us. So I do want to like really touch on the postpartum experience with her both immediately and, and afterwards. So they um, spent a really long time doing repair work on me, um, but I was completely distracted by the fact that there was this baby. So I didn't really, they didn't give me any information about it. Um, you know, or let me know what I was doing or anything like that. So a couple hours later, maybe it was the next morning, that the doc came back in and was like, how's everything going? He didn't look at, at, at me at all. Like he didn't examine me. He just talked to me. Um, and they had stopped, you know, checking my bleeding a couple of hours ago. So nobody was like looking at my vagina from a couple of hours after birth. Um, the next day, a midwife from the practice instead came in to do my discharge. Um, and I asked how many stitches I had as if the number of stitches like mattered. What, it doesn't at all. Um, and she was like, oh, honey. And not in like a mean way, like in a compassionate way. Oh, honey. Um, this is a third degree tear. Like this is going to take some time.
0: So clarification, was it a tear or did they have to do an episiotomy in order it was to tear. do forceps? Oh, they did
1: not do an episiotomy. They, yeah, they, in this practice, they do their best not to do episiotomies and they try for a natural tear because they think it's easier to heal from.
0: You know, see, I have Um, no experience with forceps. So I didn't know if like those two things went hand in hand or not.
1: Sometimes they do. um, But this practice really tries to avoid episiotomy at all costs. Um, And so if my baby had been doing poorly and they were like just trying to get her out as fast as possible, they may have, but because the baby was tolerating everything fine, they'd rather a natural tear.
0: So third degree goes all the way to the rectum, but not through the muscle. A fourth yep. degree goes through the muscle. But I mean, basically you were, you had a wide open from the base of your vagina to where your um, anus yep. begins.
1: Yes. So um, uh went home uh, and, and so besides like, you know, sit in some Epsom salts and do some sits baths, I wasn't really given any other care instructions. Uh, went home. um started feeling really, really nauseous and shaky and everything called my provider. um, And like most places, like I just left a message with the nurse um, or whatever. And they called me back or called back and they were like, yeah, that can be really normal postpartum. Here's a nausea prescription. So went and picked up this nausea prescription. It like helped, but by, you know, you can take it every eight hours. And by hour four, I was feeling really sick again. So called back the next day and I was like, I'm still feeling really sick. Right. Cause they're like, when you just get discharged, they're like, if you have any questions or concerns, call your provider. So I was doing what they told me to do. Called my provider again. And they were like, okay, well, we'll give you another nausea prescription to take on the other hour, right. The alternate hour. So take both of them every eight hours, but alternating so that, you know, you take one at hour zero, one at hour four. And then by the time hour eight comes around, you're ready. Did you
0: like dose. take your blood
1: pressure or like anything? Um, I just kept taking my temperature, but I was okay. taking ibuprofen like crazy um, okay. for you know discomfort and everything. So of course I didn't have a fever because the ibuprofen was probably treating that. But I started to feel really weak and shaky, like really, like could barely to feed my baby weak. So got this other nausea prescription. Didn't you know really touch the way I was feeling. So the next morning was Saturday, and um, my mom was like, "What do you want to do? Because we're not doing this anymore." Like pick a different form of action. Where are we going? So I went to in town, we have an OB specific urgent care.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, so I we went do. To OB,
1: it's great. It has really limited hours now, which is disappointing. It used to be kind of an all day thing, but, um, so I went there and this really wonderful nurse practitioner very quickly diagnosed me with a very severe infection in my tear. So because I had pushed for so long, the tissue was so swollen that the stitches weren't really holding anything. It was just sort of this like loosey goosey. I call it like an Afghan. Like if you would sew an Afghan together, it's not actually gonna, you know, bond. They put me on high dose antibiotics. She was like one more day and I would have been sending you back to the hospital, but I think we can kick it with antibiotics at home. So, um, and instructions to go back to my, to go to the OB. So I weekly for a couple of weeks for them to make sure that the infection was fully gone and everything. At seven weeks, I went for like my standard Postpartum check, which is just bonkers that that's the first time they wanted to see me was, you know, there. Or they said I had a lot of um granulation tissue, like just extra, you know, overhealed, like scabby tissue essentially. So they treated it with silver nitrate, which if anybody has not had filtered silver nitrate, I consider you a lucky person. It's like it's a cauterizing agent, but it feels like pouring alcohol on paper cuts. But the paper cut is your vagina. Yeah. Um, so they were like, cool, come back in two weeks. So two weeks later I went back and they were like, "Mm, there's still a lot of scar tissue here. Let's treat it again. But this time let's cauterize it like with burning with
0: cautery. Yeah.
1: So they numbed me or they tried to numb me. Um, I'm a really heavy stick with local anesthetic and they didn't really listen to me when I told them that. So they didn't give me enough before they started. I wasn't really numb. I could feel a lot of it. They kept having to go back and restick me. Meanwhile, my baby's like sitting in the car seat next to me. Like it was just a very upsetting experience.
0: And this was all being done at the OB office.
1: At the OB office. So two weeks later, I go back in and they're like, there's more, let's do it again. So they do the whole cautery thing again. Oh, and I'll mention, when I went to the urgent care, the nurse practitioner said to me, I think surgery may be where you end up. She was like, with, with healing, that's going this poorly. I just want you to be prepared for the idea that surgery might be in your future to fix the repair work. So in my head, the back of my head, I always had that like surgery could be an option. Yeah. So uh, this is, you know, round three now of going for treatments. Um, two weeks later, I could tell that there was more tissue. And I said, Nope, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm just going to live with it. Maybe I'm just, this is a really dark thing to say. Maybe I'm just broken you know, my body's just not meant to heal from this. It was not meant to deliver my baby vaginally, but I forced it to. And maybe I'm just not meant to go back to living a pain-free life. Oh, Rachel. You know, it's sad. It was sad. It was hard. Um, so, uh, but a couple of weeks later, I started having just increasing pain just in daily life, let alone, you know, intimacy. Um, So I posted on Did one of the Did you try to have sex? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I can't even, I was like four months postpartum. I was like, there, I should be able to do this.
0: Good for Uh, you for trying, but but no.
1: So I um, posted on the mom's group, kind of what was going on. And, um, two different people referred to the same person, a different provider at a different practice in town who had done similar fixes on them. So I went and saw this provider who was just like a guardian angel saving grace person. Mm-hmm. He read my my chart ter- really, really carefully. He did a very thorough exam. I didn't just have like granulation tissue. I had developed full on um, vaginal polyps. So- this is crazy,
0: Rachel. Yeah. Like I've never, yeah. I mean, I have attended a lot of births. I have like interviewed so many people. I have never heard a story like this.
1: So, you he have was like, like We're a connective surgery. tissue disorder or something? I, so, I overheal. And that's something that I now know because okay. I've had a couple of like skin cancer things taken out. Okay. Um, And I ask not to have stitches because every time I do, it gets like a really kind of aggressive scar at that point. I had never had, past the time I was like four, I had never had surgery or stitches or anything like that in my life. So, I had no idea my body might react this way to any kind of medical okay. stuff. So in December, my daughter was born in July. In December, we did a surgery. He knocked me out. He took out all the polyps and he sort of tidied everything up down there. And with this like special suture material that people, they don't usually use, but people don't usually react to. I still ended up getting like a little bit of granulation tissue, but he was able to do it to take it off without any, any cauterizing agents. And it's almost six months to the day postpartum. I was finally cleared physically. Holy cow. Yeah it was bonker. It was, it was just, it was a lot. And it, 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 I mean, while, you know, my daughter had a severe lip and tongue tie, we were dealing with all kinds of breastfeeding issues. Um, And I had a, you know, just a newborn in general. Of Um,
0: course, because parenting is so hard. (laughs) Like, you know, hopefully, like, I hate it when people say like, no one prepared you. I'm like, listen, people, I'm over here preparing you. The birth story podcast is telling you the good, the bad, the crazy, and the in-between. Like, we are preparing you. It
1: is very hard. It is. And I always think about that movie. I really hate this movie, Anger Management. Mm-hmm. um, where the guy keeps saying, saying that this guy is crazy over and over and over again, and nobody believes him. And that's sort of what I feel like when I think about that first postpartum experience, like I was saying something is wrong over and over and over again with a couple different things, you know, with my own healing, with my daughter's feeding issues. And I, it wasn't until I found the right person to actually listen to me yep. that I, that I got help.
0: Oh my um, God. Now imagine if you're a person of color.
1: No. I, mean, I know, and I, I come from a place of extreme privilege, right? I'm a white, upper middle class, fully insured. I had a doula. I have an extremely supportive family. I have a you know lovely pediatrician. Like I have all the right things. Transportation. Yep, exactly. Money to pay for this sort of things, right? Like, I mean.
0: And still uh, no one listened to you. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: because the minute that baby comes out of you in so many ways, you are not a patient anymore at
0: all. Nope. Rachel, we side-texted about this because, you know, I have a couple mutual clients that ended up in the emergency room. That's why I was asking you where you were. You went to the OB urgent care. In this country, the second you give birth and you leave the hospital, you're not welcome back there. You are no longer pregnant. You are not maternity. You are not labor and delivery. You are ER, urgent care, go see your PCP, even though the problem is clearly obstetrical and gynecological. Is that even a word? Gynecological. Yes, it is. <laughs> Something like that. Do you know what I'm saying? It's an ob problem. And I, you know, I went on an IG like tirade the other day because I had a client she needed urgent, emergent care by labor and delivery. And she sat in hemorrhaging. She sat hemorrhaging in an ER, pouring blood more than a pad an hour because there was placenta tissue that was left over inside of her uterus. And they, we knew exactly what she needed. We knew she needed a DNC. We knew she needed to go to labor and delivery. And they sent her to the ER where she sat for eight hours hemorrhaging, and they didn't even offer her a breast pump. So then she got mastitis. Of course she did. And this is what our maternity care system does. What I'm getting at with your story, Rachel, because I'm getting hot over here, is that don't you dare leave the hospital until you Check out every inch of your body. Someone checks out every inch of your body. All of your vitals are done. And then someone asks you the question How are you feeling? Do you think you could go home and hold your baby and feed your baby and take care of your baby? And then you need to ask the question If I get home and something happens, like I start hemorrhaging or I start shaking or I start vomiting everywhere, I get an infection, what is our plan? So many birthing persons forget to ask that question when they leave the hospital. So as you listen to this podcast and Rachel's story, please don't forget to ask that question. Please don't leave the hospital. Please don't forget to ask that question. What is the plan? Who do I call? Where do I go? If in 24 hours after delivery, you send me home and I'm not okay at hour 48.
1: Yeah. And that's even maybe a conversation to have with your providers. Like what's your practice's policy? And that's always what I like urge clients now, like if something's really wrong and they're like, but, you know, I called and left a message. I'm like, if something's really wrong, just go to the office. Just go sit in the lobby until someone sees you. It's a lot harder to say no to someone in person than it is to say, you know, no, don't come in to them over the phone.
0: I believe that labor and delivery triage should see birthing persons after they've birthed for at least six weeks. I agree. And I hope that that's a change that we see at some point in this country and with insurance and busyness. And I don't know. I just, I, I hope that that is a change that we see. So Rachel, like really thank you for sharing that birth story and sharing this postpartum piece so that we can advocate. Um, and before we go though, tell me about your next pregnancy experience and like, I don't know, just getting the bravery to have another vaginal birth.
1: I did a lot of really good therapy, talk therapy and EMDR therapy, which unfortunately was cut short because COVID started. Um, and at the same time COVID started, I got pregnant again, everything with my son, uh, my second birth was history repeating itself. So we got pregnant kind of first shot out of the gate. I miscarried like six weeks in, in an almost identical manner. Um, this time they did not warn me to, to take any time off. They said, just go for it. And we got pregnant again, right away with a successful pregnancy. That was my son.
0: Seriously.
1: It was just, it was, it was like identical. Like Uh I I even like declined some of the tests and some of the ultrasounds and everything with the second miscarriage because I was like, I know, I know my I know what this is. I know how my body's gonna respond. I'm okay. Not okay, but you know. Yeah. Uh we conceived in January 2020. COVID, of course, started just shortly thereafter. Um, so it was he was my COVID pregnancy, you know, didn't could, my husband couldn't come to any appointments. Um, didn't really get to do anything with me. It was all on my own and all in terror that I was going to get this mystery virus and die. And all while taking care of a toddler. The history then, like, basically completely repeated itself with my birth. Um, I uh, went into labor. You know, a couple of days after my uh, my assigned due date. Um, started having contractions. Actually, during a virtual prenatal yoga class. Started having contractions um, then kind of just settled in to stay home as long as possible, you know, shower walks. Um, I just kind of hid in my room away from my daughter. We had a really severe thunderstorm and tornado warning in Charlotte that evening. And in the middle of the tornado warning, I said to my husband, we have to go, we have to go to the hospital right now. Um, which really made him happy. Let me tell you, it was a very wet ride to the hospital. Was the doula
0: with you or was the plan for Abby to meet you at the hospital again?
1: The plan is for her to meet us at the hospital, not in the least because it was really, really bad weather. So we didn't want her to have to drive multiple places. So she just met us there. Um, This time in triage, I was like a seven, um, seven centimeters dilated, like 75 or 80% of face, you know, really crazy, crazy, you know, good progress. I was really happy and excited. They, you know, admitted us right away got in my room, got settled in. I got in the tub this time, um, which was really lovely. And then um, very shortly thereafter, I started experiencing a fetal ejection reflex. So my body was just pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, So they got me out of the tub. They got me up on the bed and I was not complete. And yet I was put, I could not stop this, this pushing. I was like, I was like nine. Rachel, I
0: started fetal ejection reflex pushing When I was seven to eight and um, secret, we had the same midwifery practice. Like that, you know, okay. (laughs) So we had the same midwifery practice and my midwife came in and she said, I just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I can't stop. Like it was a, uh, you know, and she just said, Heidi, your body would never let you hurt itself. So just go. She was like, if she was like, it doesn't really matter what my exam says, just do whatever your body's wanting to do. And I was like,
1: so we just kept trying different positions and everything to try and, you know, make me more comfortable and get me to, you know, calm down and my body to calm down a little. And they checked me again, um, a little while later, and I was now making reverse progress, um, because I was having really bad swelling
0: PASMO
1: Um, is the word for that.
0: PASMO. It's a Spanish word. There's no English word for it, but it means regressing cervix. Now question. Yeah. I'm over here listening to your story and I'm like, well, where's your epidural? Because of like the forceps and the tearing. And like, to me, it was like an obvious planned epidural. So were you still planning no epidural at
1: this point? Once again, I was trying to get as far as I could without an epidural because I had the failed epidural experience last time. I was scared to commit to it too soon because I was scared it wouldn't work again, that it would, it would fail again. So, um, I blame some of my lack of mobility on, on not my daughter's inability to descend. That's, you know, neither here nor there, but, but I was trying to not. And then when I was like so far along and I was pushing, you know, I felt like my body was pushing. I was like, no, I can do without it. Yeah. So they, but when they did that exam and I was making reverse progress, the really lovely midwife um, who was on was like, we got to get you to relax. We we have to, if you want to preserve, you know, what you want this to be, we have to relax you. I think we should have an epidural. And so we took some time and then we agreed to go for it. So got an epidural, everybody chills out, everybody goes to sleep. Once again, uh, broke my water and baby's head was still negative two. So it was just like- But your husband
0: wasn't pushing the epidural button this time.
1: No, he was not allowed to touch <laughs> the button. He, the button was on the complete other side of the bed, no button pushing. Yeah. So- So it's um, literally,
0: like so far it's like identical.
1: It was crazy. I was like, Oh, okay. But here's where it changed because here's where I said, I have the ability to make a different decision than the one I made last time. And last time I agreed to an assisted delivery. And when my option was a C-section and this time I, d- I wanted to, to do a C-section instead, I did not want another assisted delivery with the risk of that severe tear. So the midwife was like, Please, you know, just relax, come back. I'll come in and check on you at the end of my shift and we'll come up with a plan. So I, in my head, decided I'm ready for a C-section. Um, my doula and my husband are over texting each other, not to bother me texting each other, both agreeing that they thought we should do a C-section. Okay. So the midwife walks back in to, this is around 6 a.m. at this point. So I started labor that prior afternoon and she checks me and she was like, you're a plus two. Um, ah! and, I was feeling pre- and I was feeling pressure. Yeah. And I was like, I was literally about to tell you, let's go for a C-section. And she was like, girl, you're going to have a baby. I'll see you later. Just do whatever you want. The next midwife, I'll send her into you first. Okay. And it so it was just so night and day different. And yeah. so I was like, okay, I guess I'll just push. And so every time I felt, I, like I said, it was the world's most perfect epidural. So I kept feeling, you know, coming and going pressure. So every time I felt that pressure and I knew what I was doing this time with pushing, like I knew where to do it. Yeah, I would push a little. And so, you know, they brought the card in and then this midwife walks in, introduces herself and like sits down on the edge of the bed and just looks and she was like, okay, you know, whenever you're ready. And so I started pushing and they were like, yeah, okay. Baby's almost here. And I turned to my husband. I was like, what are they talking about? This is not how you have a baby. And he would look down. He was like, "I, I think, I think it's true. I think, I think she's almost here. You know, it's almost here. And so I reached down and there was a head like crowning basically.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah. And, but the last time, it you know, there had been lights and there had been a whole team and it had been crazy. And this time they didn't even turn the lights on. Cause no meconium, right? No meconium. No meconium. There was just a midwife sitting on the edge of the bed watching me. It was a total hands-off situation. And so I pushed, I think for like 15 minutes total. um, And out came my almost nine pounds, uh, 98th percentile son. And we were team green both times. So both times wow. the gender was, was, or the assigned sex yes. of birth was a surprise to us. Wow. So out, out came my son in, again, this totally redemptive, it was history repeating itself until it wasn't. And I, it was, I had the ability to make a different choice, which I did, yeah. but then I still got an amazing outcome. Oh and my then my gosh. postpartum was a dream. Did you take A total dream. At all? Not at all. No tearing at, at all. I had a, I had a paper cut. To be okay. fair, I do not have the perineum landscape that I used to have okay. um, because of, you know, so I like to say the way had been paved, but even with a, you know, 98th percentile, nine pound, you know, head, yeah. he, he still has a big old head.
0: Um, Rachel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I am so proud of you. It was uh, incredible. We don't always get redemptive birth stories to share and it's so special because it like, you've cut you've taken us all over the place in this last hour and it's been remarkable you know i have some clients right now that are struggling with whether whether to um it's similar but like whether to schedule a c section again or to go for a v back whether to schedule a c section again or go for a v back after two cesarean sections whether to have a c section because they had trauma third degree and fourth degree tears. I mean, this type of story is like about perseverance and about believing and you had a strong conviction um for what you did and did not want, which was no assisted delivery. C-section mm-hmm. would be better. And but you still gave your body the time to um practice its innate wisdom. So, how cool.
1: It was remarkable. And I, I I, think there's a third baby in me somewhere, but, you know, thirds are wild cards. So now I'm like, oh, golly, like what? This one will probably be like breech and I'll end up with a scheduled C-section or something. I'm not pregnant right now. But like, that's what I'd always joke. That you, like, know you know what? I got my crazy. I got my... And then I need like a third.
0: <laughs> and if your third is breach scheduled C, call me
1: and yeah. we'll talk
0: about... <laughs> getting training with breach without borders and how vaginal breach birth is safe. So <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's um, I do want to say with my second, I did have, um, I had a great postpartum experience. I did have postpartum depression with my second um, a lot of that. I blame on COVID circumstances, you know, just how difficult it was to have little kids and still difficult to have little kids during a raging pandemic. Um, I just want to give a really big shout out to providers both my providers and my um, kids' pediatrician, who both recognized the postpartum depression months before I did and kept bringing it up with me um, and waiting for me to be ready to accept that diagnosis when I was ready to accept it and get treatment for it. So,
0: yeah. What did you
1: take for your postpartum depression? Zoloft, so an SSRI. Yeah.
0: As- I'm a giant fan of Zoloft. And what um, dosage did you take?
1: 50. Okay. Yeah. I started at 25, uh, worked up to 50, uh, tried hundred for a while, but it was too much. Okay. Came back down to 50, um, went off it for a couple of months and then decided that, you know, no, I just function better on it. I like to say that my SSRI experience is it just turns the volume down. It doesn't numb me. It doesn't, you know, make me not feel things. It just quiets the negativity that, that naturally wants to come up inside my head.
0: Yeah, I'm a big big fan. And in fact, in my private Facebook group, we have like a whole literal Zoloft chain going, you know? And so it's not for everyone and SSRIs are not for everyone. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you are open to taking a medication, that is a medication that is very well studied in postpartum and in breastfeeding and is can be very powerful. Being a new parent is not something we should suffer through and sometimes there are tools like zoloft like um homeopathics like copa calm magnolia extract motherwort you know exercise hydration all of those things right help our mood but every now and then this little tiny pill called zoloft can really can be your friend and can help you really enjoy the postpartum period And kudos to your team for continuing to follow up with you and to make sure that your mental health was where it needed to be. So
1: I take my happy blue pill at night and then I have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. So I take my thyroid medication in the morning. And between those two things, it makes my body function the way it needs to for both myself, for my family and for my work.
0: Thank you for sharing and being vulnerable about that because that's this episode is going to help a lot of people. Thank you for being on the Birth Story podcast and sharing today, and we'll talk soon, okay?
1: Sounds great. Thank you so much for your time. This was a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to Birth Story.
0: My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go, and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan, and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.